Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. I think probably to no one's surprise, I'm still in Maryland. I did not get on the plane on Sunday to go back to Ghana. I'm a go. I just don't know when. I have to be back before Thanksgiving because I'm hosting a trip. I'm still waiting on God to tell me something, a definitive sign of some sort. I went to this cafe the other day. I wrote down all the things that why not when could possibly mean. And I had to explore what my definition of winning is. Interesting answers. My version of winning is very much torn between America and then, you know, being an adventurer, as Aunt Agnes might call it on the Gilded Age. I think my challenge here is figuring out how to balance all of my wants, perhaps prioritize is the better word. And also, you know, wait for guidance and direction. (sighs) If you know me, know me. You know, patience is not my strong suit. So, yeah, this stillness is a bit of a struggle for me. But I've been keeping myself busy. Sunday, when I was supposed to be getting on a plane, instead, I went to the movies with my mom. We went to see Priscilla. I told y'all that was going to be my popcorn movie. I really wanted to get like a giant tub of popcorn and like sit in a recliner and watch like a gigantic screen with like big surround sound. Going to the movies in America is like an entirely different experience than going other places. I went to the movies in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. I went to the movies in London. I went to the movies in South Africa. South Africa was a similar experience. I went to see Creed there. London was... I went to see Mission Impossible. That was just straight up weird. They just put a bunch of recliners in a room, but they weren't like on a slope or anything. And then the screen was like super small. It was like watching TV at somebody's house, but like standing at the back of a long room. I still have to go see Mission Impossible again because I don't really feel like I experienced the movie as I should. My dad has this gigantic TV they got while I was gone. I want to say that thing is like 80, 90 inches. Like it's huge. Maybe I'll watch that. Priscilla, I was very thankful for my American movie experience. I ate like one fourth a tub of popcorn with all the butter. And then like my tummy started to hurt because I'm not used to just, you know, consuming mass quantities of butter, which is really strange when you think about it. As much as I make fun of like popcorn overseas, like the sugar popcorn or the just salt popcorn, just putting random butter on popcorn is also kind of weird too. Like when you think about it, my tummy ain't been right since. Whole separate story. Great movie experience. I went to Annapolis Mall. The movie was a great big what the fuck. It was good. It was well shot. It was well acted. It was a horrific story well told. Me and my mom yelled at the screen. It was mostly empty in the theater. I think we might have been the only black people too. I mean, like, it might have been 10 people in the whole theater. But me and my mom kept saying, what? out loud for the entire movie. Priscilla Presley's story, and I believe her version of events, just doesn't make any goddamn sense. And not in the sense that she's lying, but in the sense of how it all happened. I was like, oh, your parents sold you to Elvis. My overall critique of the movie after watching it was, I feel like I just watched Surviving Elvis. It was two hours of Elvis, who was, 24, grooming Priscilla, who was 14. This was the first, what, 
Priscilla and her parents live overseas. Her father is in the military. They're stationed in Germany. She goes to school, but she's very lonely. She doesn't really interact with the other girls. And she really doesn't like being in Germany. So she's at a coffee shop one day. And this man approaches her and says he's the director of music for, you know, whatever division they are. And he knows Elvis Presley because remember Elvis went into the army and Elvis throws parties at his house and would she like to come? She was like, um, I would have to ask my parents. And also Elvis, when he went to the army, is already a huge mega superstar. A 14 year old at that time would be very impressed with the celebrity of Elvis. So she goes to ask her parents if she can go to Elvis's house. And her parents are like, the fuck? No, you can't go over there. You sound crazy. That's an adult party for adult people. You were 14 years old. And she was like, I hate being in Germany. I'm so lonely. I don't have any friends. They're like, you're not going to find no friends over at Elvis's house. Absolutely not. So she tells the army guy, she was like, no, parents that I can't go. The army guy was like, hey, let me talk to your dad. So the military guy who had originally approached her comes to meet her father and was like, hey, I'm so-and-so. I work under so-and-so important person who the father happens to know. And he's like, my wife and I go to these parties together and we will be her chaperone. We will be personally responsible. So you should let her come to the party. So her parents are like, okay, but she has to be home at a decent hour. Me and my mom were both like, what? You don't know this man from a can of paint. Yes, he works with someone you know, but you don't know him. You don't know his wife. Actually, and I was talking to my mom about this after the movie. And I was like, at 14 years old, if somebody came and was like, I want to take Demetria to a party for people in their 20s, I already know the answer to that. But I was like, if it was like a major celebrity, somebody who I might have had their poster on my wall or something like that, and I really wanted to go, say Usher was 10 years older than me. And I was like, oh my God, mom, it's Usher. I really want to go see Usher. I feel like best case scenario, my mom would have said, okay, you want to go see Usher? Then me and you can go. I'll take you to this event so you can meet this celebrity that you have this huge crush on. She goes to the party and then Elvis invites her upstairs. Priscilla's version of events is like nothing happened. They held hands. But her parents keep letting her go out to these parties with these grown ass people. And I think only once, and this is like the whole film, does somebody ever comment like, oh, he likes them young. Everybody else seems to have no care, no concern, no nothing. Eventually, her parents feel a way about her hanging out with Elvis. Elvis calls the house and was like, hey, like, I want to hang out with Priscilla. My intentions are pure. I mean, no harm. Like, I really just enjoy her company. Her mother is very confused. And she was like, why is he not dating people his own age? What does he want with our 14-year-old daughter? You know what he wants, ma'am. You know. So the father gets on the phone with Elvis and was like, well, if you want to continue to see my daughter. What? then you need to stop sending people to come pick her up and you need to come to the house yourself and pick her up. And he does. I was like, what the... He's a 24-year-old man. Your daughter's 14. There's another part in the film, and I think this is public knowledge at this point. Elvis gets out of the military and goes back to America. Priscilla is still in Germany. And he was like, hey, I'm going to send for you. She was like, my parents will never go for it. He was like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. He was like, oh, my father lives at the house with me. My grandmother lives at the house with me. Both of them will be her personal chaperones. I give you my word. She'll be fine. They let that little girl get on the goddamn plane and go to America with the promise from Elvis that she stay in school and she's able to graduate. And I mean school as in high school. What? 
I told you, me and my mother yelled at at the screen like the whole movie. It's just a big bag of what? The movie is so detailed about how he groomed her. And then also how everyone around him was completely complicit in the whole thing. And I was like, oh, so this is how R. Kelly did it. We're just seeing it play out with like the original R. Kelly. He told that little girl how to wear her hair, how to wear her makeup, what color she could wear. When she got there, I want to say he was shooting a movie. So she was by herself a lot of time. And so she was like, hey, I was thinking about, you know, maybe getting a job at this store. Literally, I have nothing to do. She's like, I go to school. I do my homework. And then I sit in the house all day. I just want to, you know, get a job just to be social. And he was like, absolutely not. I don't want a career woman. I want a woman who's completely dedicated to me. So like no job for you. I need someone who's there for me. Whenever I call, I need you to be available to answer. I really thought they were married for a much longer time. I don't know, like a 20 some odd year marriage. Their marriage only lasted six years and she never married anybody else. She did properly divorce him. None of this is in the movie. And then she had a two decade relationship with somebody else. And she had another child with that person. But she was like, after the marriage to Elvis, she was like, I was just kind of done with the whole thing. And I was like, damn. But also makes complete sense because the whole thing was abusive. Definitely emotionally and psychologically abusive. The movie hints at physical violence. At one point, he throws a chair. I would say at her, but it didn't hit her. It hit the wall instead. Still, my only real criticism of the film, the, the film literally starts in thusly Priscilla's story the day that the army guy approaches her in the coffee shop and it was like, do you want to meet Elvis? And the film ends when she leaves the marriage. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, I actually wanted to know who Priscilla is. And I understand the only reason she's really famous is because of her affiliation with Elvis. I kind of wanted to know who she was, who her family was before she met Elvis. It's 2023 and Priscilla is still alive. Like, ma'am has lived some life since then. I did just kind of want like some sense of, okay, like you got up the courage to leave him because this mofo is crazy. But like, then what? I guess I have to read the book, which I'm not opposed to. I read Priscilla Presley is very pleased with the movie. I was like, okay, so you wanted to throw your ex-husband under the bus. Like that was the intent here. Sophia Coppola said, I just tried to be honest in the depiction of her story, the way that she told it. And Priscilla said, you got it right. So, okay. Lisa Marie Presley, before she passed, obviously, was very unhappy with the movie. She didn't like the depiction of her father. She was like, I don't think my mom understands like what depicting my father like this is going to do to his legacy. And she was like, it's kind of crazy because Priscilla Presley is over the Elvis estate. I think to this day, she's the one that had the idea to turn Graceland, where Elvis lived, into a museum of sorts and have all the people come and visit. And it's made millions and millions of dollars. That's all Priscilla Presley. But the daughter, Lisa Marie, was like, you're tarnishing my father's legacy. She was like, I don't remember my father being in the way that my mother depicted. Yes, because you had a relationship with him as his daughter, not his wife or the young girl that he groomed. Somebody came in my inbox, I guess they listened to last week's episode, and was like, do not see the movie. It's not good. It's trash. Like, you won't like it. I liked it. I was just horrified by it. I didn't realize I was signing up to watch two and a half hours of Surviving Elvis. 
I, I understood that that would be part of Priscilla's narrative, but I thought that would be part of the story, not like the entire story. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. He was the OG R. Kelly. Also, I mentioned a movie in the last episode. One of the listeners, thank you, DM'd me and was like, hey, sis, you saw 60 Minutes Australia, which no, I didn't. She said 60 Minutes Australia just did a story on Elvis and all the 14-year-old girls he groomed. I said, excuse me, ma'am? I went and watched the segment. It's 17 minutes surviving Elvis. It was all these women now in their literally 60s, 70s, and 80s talking about how they used to get down with Elvis, specifically when they were 14 years old. I was like, (gasps) logically, it makes sense that Priscilla's not the only one. Priscilla, for whatever reason, was the one he decided to focus his attention on. But it's not like he just met this one 14-year-old girl and was so enamored with her that he just had to have her. No, you nasty ass like them young girls. And Priscilla was just the one you married. This is literally the same shit as R. Kelly with the Aaliyah marriage. And then got a whole string of women, old ladies with gray hair, talking about, oh yeah, I was a young girl. I was so enamored with Elvis. The interviewer said, how old are you? They did it in a row. 14, 14, 14, 14. Nasty. I told you I watched the Elvis film and I was enamored with the film. Like, I love that film. I watched it many times. It actually made me think better of Elvis. Elvis wasn't a racist. Like, he really did like black people and hung out with black musicians. He wasn't the racist that people claim him to be. And I was like, well, okay. Seeing the actor perform as Elvis in the film, I then started watching clips of Elvis on YouTube, particularly the last scene in the Elvis movie when he's performing in Vegas. I can't remember the name of the song, but the actor did a phenomenal job. And still, Elvis's version is even better. Like, it was, it was chills-inducing. So it actually made me think more fondly of Elvis. The movie obviously didn't talk about 14-year-old Priscilla. I knew she was young. I didn't know she was 14. And I didn't know he was 24. I thought probably he was more like 19, which is still, uh. But at least they're still teenagers, kind of. Whatever. I ain't trying to justify that shit. I ain't realized he was this nasty. I don't think people who are still Elvis fans to this day give a fuck that he groomed Priscilla in this way. It's not like it was a secret that she was 14. Everybody knew and knew back then. They knew when he got married that she was dumb young. The people who still like Elvis after all this time don't care that he groomed Priscilla and also don't care about this other string of 14-year-old women. They'll like acknowledge it happened and be like, yeah, that's really fucked up. Alexa, play Elvis. They don't care. I also read Sheila Johnson's book. When I bought Jada's book, I bought books by a bunch of black women. Obviously, I read Jada's first. And then I was like, well, let me see what Sheila Johnson got to say. She's America's first black female billionaire. Let's see what Mother Sheila has to say. Her book is called Walk Through Fire, a memoir of love, loss, and triumph. I believed, assumed, that this would be a book Obviously, her personal life, like her origin story, yes. But I thought primarily this would be a book about building BET. I knew that she was a founder. She was an initial investor. I knew that she was the breadwinner when Bob was trying to get started with BET. I expected most of this book to be about business, branding, BET. Obviously, there is a very well-known affair 
that Bob had with another prominent businesswoman, Deborah Lee, who wrote her own book and talks about her relationship with Bob being his mistress. I knew Sheila Johnson owned Salamander Resort, which I've been to on a few occasions, all of them cold. I've never been there in the fall. I may drive out there this week. The book is definitely about those things, but a good chunk of her book is about the hellscape that was her life while being married to Bob Johnson. Bob, based on Sheila's version of events, is a real-life villain. Every detail that Sheila Johnson shares about him, you be like, he did what? I went to the coffee shop. I told you to like do my list of what winning means to me. And then I also was like, well, let me read 50 pages of the book. I've been trying to read 50 pages of something every day. I miss a few days. I sat down and read this book. I got to page maybe like 130. I looked up when they started rolling down the gate on the coffee shop. And I was like, oh no. I didn't want to wait before I got to the next chapter. And so I went to a restaurant nearby with the intent to sit down and read. I ran into one of my friends. We ended up leaving and going to hang out at her house. I hung out with her for four hours, came back to my house, and then stayed up until 4.30 in the morning reading Sheila Johnson's book. I finished the whole thing in a day. I could not stop reading. Also, it took me longer than it should have because I was underlining. I was scribbling in the margin. I wrote WTF in this book at least 10 times. By the time I got to page 25, I had said what the fuck out loud in my very quaint family-friendly coffee shop. Somebody's mother glared at me and I was like, oh my bad. Because there were children present. It was indecent. But what I was reading was indecent. Bob? And not just Bob. Sheila's own father? Sir. Sir. I'm not going to give you any more details than that because I think I started an unofficial book club. I didn't kind of mean to. Let's give it 90 days and see how it goes. Isn't this how this whole podcast got started in 2019? I was like, let me try something for 90 days. See how it goes. Here we are. The next book... And what's Demi reading is Sheila Johnson's Walk Through Fire. Next Tuesday, seven days from today, we're going to do our first reading. Let's do 100 pages by next Tuesday. The book is only 250 pages. So we'll do 100, 100, and then 50 over three episodes starting next Tuesday. What's the date for that? November 14th. Does that sound good? I'm trying to allow space for the folks that got full-time jobs and husbands and kids and don't have like a four or five hour chunk of time to just read this book straight through. Honey, I could not put it down. I wanted to hug her several times throughout the book. I wanted to throw this book across the room on multiple occasions. I still want to hug her, even though she's fine. She famously divorced Bob and took half and that she was entitled to because she was one of the original investors in BET. Bob put up 15 G's, she put up 15 G's. And she put up a little more when the money was tight. So she very much earned her half. She has Salamander Resort. She married the judge who presided over her divorce. And still very much so, at the end of this book, I wanted to hug her. Look, Just looking at her, knowing the highlights of her life and not knowing the lows, obviously, she doesn't look like what she's been through. Walk through the fire, understatement. That woman was in hell. For 30 some odd years. It's a fascinating read. If I ever see Sheila Johnson. I'm just going to jump on her and hug her. And hope her security don't pull me off her. And fling me somewhere. For my sake I need to hug her. She talks a lot about her marriage. And some of the details that she gave. About things that were said and done. Were very triggering for me. 
She talks about the process of going through divorce and what it felt like. Also very triggering for me. It's been six years since I left New York. Um, And still, I told y'all this the other day, like I was listening to the playlist and then I got sad for how sad I used to be. Reading someone else's account of how terrible divorce was, it just made me sad to remember how awful that whole situation was. Nobody really wants to go through that. Even when you know that you're making the right decision and there's something you're doing literally for your own survival, it still just hurts really, really, really bad. So yeah, I say that to say, if you are going through a divorce or have been recently divorced, just know that that comes up in the book and she gets real detailed about it. I'm six years out, well, from when I left. The divorce took almost two years. My divorce took longer than Sheila and Bob Johnson's. And these two are dividing up literally billion dollars worth of assets. My ex-husband dragged that divorce out. Now, leave that alone. Leave that alone. I can't wait for y'all to read it if you haven't yet. There's a, it's also on Audible. I prefer book books because I just like to flip and write in the margins and you know, have my thoughts and blah, blah, blah. Everybody doesn't care about that. I heard the Audible is really amazing. Sheila Johnson does her own Audible and people have been raving about it. So that's an option as well. Also, heads up. We're reading Pinky Cole's book after this. Slutty Vegan. What's the name of the book? I hope you fail. What do we have in Good Black News this week? New Edition has announced their Las Vegas residency. I knew this was coming down the pipeline. I just didn't know when. I'm reading this on Billboard. It says next year, New Edition will take their show on the road again. But this time they will hit Vegas for a 2024 residency. From February 28th to March 9th, the iconic R&B group will hold six performances at the Wynn Las Vegas. Tickets open at $79.95. Only six performances? I mean, technically it's a residency. But I think a residency is like, you know, Adele or Usher, who both been in Vegas like forever at this point. For good reason. They making money hand over fist. But I want to see New Edition make their money. Hopefully this is like a test run. Just to see how many folks are going to come out. I saw a new edition. Maybe in 2021. I want to say me and my friend Brianna went. It was Jodeci, Charlie Wilson, and new edition. Everybody sounded amazing. Obviously Jodeci. They're back in fine form. Charlie Wilson has been back in fine form for quite some time. And then new edition. Like I was a little worried about Bobby. But they've worked out a situation where Bobby can take some rest. And then Bobby has his own segment of the show. Bobby is not what Bobby was in his heyday. I would dare say everybody else on the stage pretty much is. I mean, folks have matured, but folks are still in tip-top form. Bobby is not. I will say this, though. Bobby gives you 100% of what he got left. And I appreciate that. He's made some you know, unique choices in his life. He's also had a really hard life. Two of his children have died. Also his ex-wife and... Remember the Bobby Brown story on BET? Literally, it begins talking about how much death he's seen in his life. He's a bit of a troubled soul. I think he's found some peace in later years. I say all that to say, I felt like I definitely got my money's worth. So I'm really happy that they're in Vegas. I hope it gets extended beyond six shows. This Jeezy Neil Long interview where Jeezy discusses his divorce. I only saw quick clips of it on Baller Alert. Nia Long is so like blunt and straight to the point. She asked him, she said, well, what happens in a marriage 
that it brings a man to file for divorce. Statistically, men don't file. I want to say it's either 70 or 80%, like the overwhelming number of people who file for divorce are women. But GC answered her, kind of. He said, integrity intact. He said, I'm paraphrasing. He wanted to respect the marriage. He didn't want to speak ill of Jeannie. He said that they had gone to therapy, that they had tried to work things out, and they just couldn't. He said he was sad, conflicted, disappointed. He very much wanted his marriage to work, but he really gave no details. But people were like, so what was the point in you doing this interview? Because if you sit down and do an interview specifically about your divorce, people are expecting to hear some tea. They're expecting people to go like full Sheila Johnson about Bob. I know you just put out a new album or a new double album and you need to promote it. You get that. But I'm like, also, sir, you need to come up with an answer for interviews that gives people something without giving them too much since you're going to sit for interviews. Also, I saw a common thread in the comments. People are talking about he wasn't married long enough to actually work on the marriage. Like it was only two years. Like, does that really count as putting in work? Yes. Yes. I have some bias. I was technically married from 2014 to 2019, but I left in 2017 because I was so depressed I wanted to kill myself. Said that multiple times. That's not a secret. Because I speak publicly about my divorce, people, strangers and people in my real life, talk to me very candidly about their divorce. I'm also still a life coach, even though I haven't practiced in years. But once you have the skills, they're just there. When I feel like people really want to chat, I try to like guide them to help them find their own answers. I want to say with the exception of maybe two people, and I mean, out of all the people that have talked to me about divorce since I made that big announcement on Instagram. So I'm talking like thousands of people. I want to say there might have been two people who were married for like over 20 years. The first like 10, 12 years were good and we drifted apart. And so we have to go our separate ways. I would say everybody else I've ever spoken to knew within the first year. They might've stayed for 20 years. They might've stayed for 40 years. Every single one of them was like, yeah, I knew like three months in, six months in. I knew at the altar. I knew when he proposed. Everybody knew pretty early on, like this isn't going to work. So I say this about Jeezy. Life is short. There's other shit to do. And I don't mean to be callous and flippant. You know when the shit is 100% over. You know. Ain't no sense to try to keep working on something when you know the shit is done. I've said this before. When people file for divorce, it's not even necessarily because they went out of the marriage. They want peace. And they can't find it in their situation. And they're just like, I got to get out of here. Divorce is literally a last resort. Nobody wants to go through that shit. And I've also said this before. Everything that you hold any kind of value for is suddenly in flux and up for grabs by your partner, prenup or not. Also, you're basically declaring war on somebody that you've been in a relationship with probably for years. They know all your push buttons. They know all your weak points. Some people can behave like a mature adults and just be like, hey, you don't want to be with me anymore. Well, let's just divide up these assets and go on our merry ways. Most people can't do that. My empathy is with Jeezy and it's with Jeannie. He just seems to be the one that's doing an interview right now. Jeannie was on Sherry a couple weeks ago. So they're, they're both out here doing interviews about the divorce. I would give them what I think is great advice to stop talking about that shit publicly. I think last time he made a statement, because we read it on here. He was like, my family and I are asking for privacy during this time. 
sir, now you're doing interviews. You can't do interviews about the shit that you want to be private about and expect people not to have commentary on it. Like, I know you're promoting an album. He got to find a better way to do this. Especially the divorce ain't final. I'm like, whose lawyers allowed this? He's keeping it cute. He's not saying too much. Maybe that's what the lawyers are allowing. But I was like, if you can't please the public by giving them the details that you want, there's really no need to talk about it. Literally just say, you know, this is a very hurtful situation. This is not what I wanted. I'm disappointed. I'm sad. I want to be the best co-parent that I can be. I want to be the best father to my children. I'm just not in a place where I really want to speak publicly about that. And people just have to respect it. What they going to say? Tell us about your divorce. You owe it to us. Nigga, no, I don't. I'm going to watch the whole interview. I reserve the right to change all of my opinions after I've seen the whole interview. Speaking of people who change opinions, you know, we talked about Ocho Cinco last episode and his comments on Keith Lee, and he went really hard on Keith Lee. And I was like, "Mm." even when I don't agree with Ocho, I usually understand his logic. And I was like, Ocho hasn't seen Keith Lee clips. He and Shannon Sharp, I told you they have that podcast. Ocho did circle back and admit he was wrong. And issued a public apology to Keith Lee. He said he want to go where Keith Lee is. And he, then he want to eat with Keith Lee now. But he said he'd been listening to people in their comments. And he was like restaurant owners who were like, it's really irresponsible for this man to come to our restaurant and give it a bad review when he has 14 million followers. That kind of negative publicity could completely sink a small business. Ocho said he was hearing the restaurant owners and he was under the impression like initially I was because of the restaurant owner's reaction that Keith Lee was making these videos dragging people. And he said his daughter came to him and was like, dad, you got it wrong. Like you got to watch some videos. So he said he watched some Keith Lee videos and he was like, oh my God, this is a lovely man. My bad. I'm sorry. So he issued a public apology. He said he didn't do his research then, but he has now. And again, now wants to go eat with Keith Lee. A new Keith Lee convert. I saw... I don't remember where I read it. I was scrolling that Keith Lee has paused his food tour, which if somebody was issuing death threats to my family, I would pause too. I totally get it. I hope this is a situation of delay, but not denying his impact. I hope he will continue to follow through on the path that he's been on because I see it being so, so big for him. The amount of impact that he has is very, very, very hard to come by. I want to see him win. So I hope that he's able to First and foremost, find a sense of safety and his family is safe. And they also, he's able to like, you know, regroup, gather self and set off again to a new destination. Yvonne Orgy, Molly from Insecure, she had an HBO comedy special. She's out here talking about being a 39 year old virgin. I don't police other people's vaginas. How you use your lady is your business. If you want to be in the streets, if you want to bust it open, that's that's it's your vagina. I don't have anything to do with it. As long as, you know my rule, is everyone consenting? Is everyone of age? Is everyone single? Or at least in an open situation? Then you're good to go. Also, people who choose not to bust it open. People who choose to wait. People who choose to abstain. I don't care. I don't mean that in no kind of bad way. I'm just saying your vagina ain't got nothing to do with mine. I don't have interest in anybody's vagina other than my own. Use yours or not as you see fit. I am here for people who are ratchet and respectable. All right, that's the episode. There's more, but I really want to go edit this and turn it in so I can go watch this Jeezy interview. (laughs) 
I'm like, what else did he say? <sighs> we'll be back on Friday. Bye.